0: This is Mike Van Meter, and welcome to the Recovery is Possible podcast, and I want to thank you for joining me, and you can reach us at our Facebook site, which is also called Recovery is Possible, or our website, which is vanmeterwellnesssolutions.com, and this podcast exists to educate the public about addiction and to remove the stigma associated with addiction and offer help and support to those suffering from addiction. And this episode is sponsored by FHE Health, a substance abuse and mental health treatment center specializing in and treatment for first responders' needs, including PTSD, anxiety, and substance use. So take the first steps to a better life today by visiting fhehealth.com. And today, guys, I want to introduce to you a friend of mine, John Kelly. And, you know, this is a meeting that we had kind of by happenstance. For those of you that listen to this podcast, uh, sometime back, sometime last year, I interviewed a captain with the Broward County Sheriff's Office, uh, Renee Peterson, and I met her when I was down on one of my trips to Florida, and had her on the podcast, and she texted me last week and said, I want you to meet somebody that I saw at a captain's conference. This is just a a conference that they had for the command staff at the Broward County Sheriff's Office. And uh, she came across John. John was one of the speakers. He's going to talk more about that at this conference. And she said, you know, I really, I really think John has a fantastic message and you you ought to talk to him. And he uh, has a a fantastic story when it comes to uh, wellness and as that relates to addiction, all sorts of uh, different types of addictions and um, uh, really promoting mental health, mental uh, health wellness, particularly in the law enforcement profession. But remember guys, I know a lot of time, a lot of times we talk about uh, the law enforcement profession, but you know law enforcement is not unique in stress, you know the military, the helping professions, uh, nurses, doctors, uh, all the, the different they're all kinds of lawyers, everybody can benefit from the different topics that we talk about. It's just that that happens to be our background. And he has a fantastic message. Uh, talk to him a couple of times, and uh, I really know that you're going to get a lot out of what John has to say to you. So with that, I want to introduce you to John Kelly. Hey, John, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, Mike.
0: Yeah, so tell us a little bit. Uh, I know that uh, you're friends with uh, Renee. In fact, you worked with her uh, years ago. I did. I yeah. Yeah. So tell us a bit about how you, like, connected again. How did that happen? So
1: um, I had retired a year ago. I did 30 years uh, with the sheriff's office, and um, I was asked to come back. I've been putting on a program, uh, a wellness program for first responders um, called Sometimes Heroes Need Help. And I had just finished up over the summer putting the program on for all the sergeants and lieutenants within the agency. And uh, one of the command staff said, "You know, this is this is a message. This is a program that we want uh, to get to the masses." And they asked that I perform uh, that I make my presentation to their command uh, captains' session that they were having. And so I, I in that moment I kind of reconnected with Renee and a bunch of other captains uh, that I hadn't seen in, in in over a year. And that um, seminar was just last week.
0: Well, wow. and, and what were the, the topics that uh that you talked about?
1: So the the program that I've been putting on it addresses the personal, professional, financial, physical, and mental health and well being of us. And um it, it's funny. So I had I had one of these careers, man. If you could have scripted a career, uh blessed, there wasn't an assignment that I wanted to do that I didn't get the opportunity. Um Despite, despite and this is the other thing, like despite addictions and all the holes that I fell in throughout my career, I, I would argue that my career was one that, you know, someone would aspire to have. And, and it's the craziest thing. Uh, you would think with all those problems, realizing, you know, the assignments that I had wouldn't be possible. And it's just uh, it goes it speaks to the point about addressing issues and taking taking uh, being accountable and and, and all those things. Right. Um, One of my assignments uh, prior to exiting was in the training division Mm. and I got it was it was we were at the time uh, at the time we were burying a deputy a year at the hands of a suspect. And uh, the agency had taken hold of a very reactive stance and uh, a lot of hesitation, a lot of second guessing, uh, not a lot of empowering. And so that kind of manifested itself in us being really good at burying our own. And so, with a change in command, um, they requested to adopt more of a warrior mindset. And we were given pretty much cotton. Cot blanche to develop programs that didn't keep us surviving but kept us winning winning deadly force encounters so we we ran with it we were uh if we needed equipment if we needed funding it it, it was it really it, it was a blank check um the incoming command you know their commitment to winning was was commendable um, and so we developed some very aggressive, proactive, win it all cost programs that resonated with the troops. Uh, but at the end of the training day, Mike, um, that inevitably every day there'd be somebody lingering about, somebody milling about, not, you know, not jumping in their car and heading home. And without exception, every day there'd be one, if not more. And so, you know, hey, what are you doing? We'd go up to him. Well, you know, what's what's shaking? What do you? Why aren't you? Why are you still here? <laughs> we cut you out early. Why are you still here? And three, two, one, the floodgates, right? It, 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 and the crying, the destruction and it, it came. You know, we 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 had this epiphany, this discovery. It's like the things that are jamming our guys up the things that are causing heartache the things that are keeping our guys from wanting to go home it's got nothing to do with the cop stuff um, it's the life stuff it's the it's the relationship issues it's the addiction issues it's the abuses of alcohol it's their inability to communicate effectively with their partners it's and it it, it was one of those things where we was just like we're training the guys on the wrong things, man. You know, there's, there's a class for everything, be it the FBI or the, or the Broward Sheriff's Office. There's a class for everything, but there is no class to keep you from hurting yourself. There is no class that teaches you how to navigate your way out of these dark places that we find ourselves in. And quite frankly, if you're in this line of work, you're going to experience. It's inevitable. Um, and so we started spending a significant amount of time referring, helping, mentoring, coaching, normalizing conversations that people didn't want to have, that were uncomfortable to have because they showed weakness, right? And God forbid we show. God forbid we shed a tear, right? Um, we're bulletproof, man. Nothing bothers me, nothing phases me. I got this. And we go on to the next crisis. We don't ever allow ourselves a moment to be human. Mm -hmm. Can't happen. Won't happen. Not on my watch. And suppressing that and pretending that we have all the answers and that we've got it all figured out, that we don't need help, is really a death sentence for us, right? So uh, thankfully, I was with a bunch of like-minded guys who saw the importance of of caring, right? Of caring. I know that's a foreign con. We actually care about people, um, and so upon my exit, I was like, you know, not a lot has changed, man. You know, we're we still have the same issues. You know, when we talk about suicide within the law enforcement community, you know, with the ratio for every bad guy that kills a law enforcement professional, three take their own lives. This is a are undisputed. staggering These number. Are undisputed. These are undisputed
0: facts. That is a staggering and, and, number. It really and is. And Mike,
1: Mike, if the bureau was experiencing a loss of agents at the hands of suspects, with if that ratio was reversed, if we were getting ambushed 3 to 1, right? If the th- if the threat was from the outside, if the threat was the car four deep, if the threat was the search warrant, we would completely revamp how we did business. Yeah. There'd be intensive training, intensive training, or we would come up with a solution. You know, when, when, when the folks at the sheriff's office started dying doing search warrants, you know what we did? We started having the SWAT team do search warrants and not the detectives. Mm-hmm. right? We addressed, we addressed it. We were like, all right, this is really dangerous. We need to do something about it. Let's put some people that have a skill set above and beyond the regular guy. Mm-hmm. And so then, then oddly enough, detectives stop dying doing search warrants because our SWAT team is, is, is excellent at what they do. They have the, 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 the skills. They have the equipment, um, the intelligence. They have everything that they need to minimize the risk, right? Minimize the risk. You can't remove the risk completely, but you're going to minimize
0: mm-hmm. it.
1: When it comes to us taking our own lives or, or getting involved in self-destructive behavior, not only do we not minimize that, we, we turn a blind eye to it. Mm-hmm. And we just, this is what we do, Mike. We hope. Hope's not hope's not a plan, brother.
0: No. And you know, it's funny because you use many, many, many taglines that, that I've used over the years and the concepts that I've talked about. You know, hope is not a plan. You need to have a plan. And right. I, 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 in the training that I do, around the country i talk about this that the one area that is the most destructive to you coming into a law enforcement career and again other careers face this as well the yes. thing that's going to take you out is you the big <laughs> uh, yeah i i might have a suspect uh you know come at me i've been in dangerous situations you've been in dangerous situations but really the biggest threat to my life is me and right. and it doesn't even have to be suicide. It can be it can no. be drinking yourself to death no. or uh, or oh or God. um you know what, what I used to talk about with the new agents when I taught down at the FBI Academy. I used to do this thing, and you might find this kind of funny, but there was a reason why I did it because it was necessary. I used to pull the agents aside, the new agents, if we had some extra time,
1: right. and
0: talk about uh, all the things that you can do to screw your career up very very quickly. And, right. um, it involved alcohol, it involved sex and it involved, um, bureau cars, you know, the, the government cars, sure. um, you know, sex, <laughs> alcohol, and your take-home car. Those are the things that if right. if you told me, you know, five years from now, you tell me, Hey Mike, uh, I lost my career. I, I guarantee it's going to be one of those things. Well, one of those, three those things. Three things that caused it. Yes. <laughs> but, but those are the things That's that historical. we don't talk about. Uh, right. right. We don't, we just don't talk That's, about it, those things. It,
1: it's just, it, and it's. I don't know, maybe because I'm in a different place. Well, I absolutely because I'm in, di- in a different place. But so then I, I I start thinking if you know it's important for bosses to understand the role they play in 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 promoting or establishing a culture, um, a, you know, and we are so far from establishing a culture of caring um, that because I, I mean, you and I both have. I, I watched your presentation uh, to the troopers in Ohio. Oh, okay, yeah. I, I watched uh, I watched the entire presentation, and I was, I was, yelling. You know, my wife was like, "What what's going on in there?" I thought the parallels, the parallels between you could have exchanged our names, and it would have been the same story moving forward. Um. You, 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 you reached some really dark places a little quicker than I did. Um, but I got to tell you the way our agencies dealt with it, um, it's, we're lucky that we're still here. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, and so it's caring and part of my program and the message is you don't have to like someone to care about them. That's, that's one of the, 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 the key kind of concepts that i try to drive home especially with command that you know these people they're yours and they're looking to you to whether or not if it's safe for them to 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 peel back a layer if it's safe for them to share and the vast majority of our commands don't make that a no-brainer for us see what they do and we talk about stigmas right that the things that keep us I'll submit to you that at times it becomes more about self-preservation in the job than it does about, well, I don't want people to know my business. You know what, Mike? Everybody knows your business. Everybody <laughs> knows you're the drunk. Everybody knows you're the addict. Everybody knows, and we do we do a, a great job of insulating our own when it comes to unacceptable behavior. Um, we think we're doing our buddies a solid and and in all actuality, we're just, we're, we're we're perpetuating this, this spiral. Um, and so, you know, it's not a big secret, but what happens is Mike, if I got to worry, I mean, if I got to worry about my standing in the agency, if I got to worry about my, my, position that I've worked my entire career for, if I've got to worry about being benched, uh, money taken out of my pocket, I've got a family to take care of. I've got got all these people relying on me. And if my agency doesn't let me know that it's okay, that I'm not going to be penalized, I'm not going to be put in time out, that their only wish is that I get better and they're willing to go to great lengths to make that happen, if that message isn't being resonated with the, the rank and file, then you know what you do? You sit back and you go, you know what, man? I'll figure this out on my own. I'm I'm not going to them. I can't afford to.
0: And so let me ask you this. Uh, and, I, and I have my own theory on this. And, and I've talked it. You, talk, you mentioned the video that you saw me doing the presentation out in Ohio. Right. On, and I addressed it out there. What do you think the number one reason why people don't come to their agency for help is?
1: I think the, the 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 fear of the fear of it being used against you.
0: Absolutely, that that is, that is the number well, one fear. That is the and number so one fear. And so, if you are a police executive one. and you're listening yes. to this podcast, you have to understand that your employee. Let's just stick with a addiction. Let's say a chemical addiction, alcohol or pills. Sure. Your employee has a disease, the disease of addiction, that's going to kill them if it's unaddressed. It's going to kill them. Now, th- I want you to think about this. If you're an executive. Your employee fears you more than they do the thought of death from their addiction. Just let that sink in for a minute.
1: That's insane. The insanity of that statement. But I got to tell you, there is no statement that's more true.
0: They fear you more than a disease that they know is going to kill them. And there's something wrong with that. And that means that the message in the agency must change. That your employees need to know that it's a safe space. And you hit on something here too. And that is this that your coworkers, if you, if, if we're talking to you, if you're somebody that's listening to this podcast right now and you're struggling with an addiction issue and you think, man, I can't talk to anybody in my agency about this. I got news for you. Everybody in your agency already knows it, they already know it. And, um, you need to ask yourself, why are you not going to get the help? And if you are the agency, why are you not intervening to help your employee? Because, like I said, this is a disease that will kill you. Now, if you had, imagine this, John. Okay, let me let me just paint the scenario. Let me let me give a different perspective. If I came to you, John, and I'm I'm in the Broward County Sheriff's Office, and I said, "Hey, John, um, I've I've got I've got cancer," um, and you say to me, "Oh man, I'm sorry to hear about that." Uh, so. Uh, what kind of treatment are they putting you through? What, what, and, I, and I say to you, well, treatment? I'm not going to get treatment. Are you kidding me? No, I'm going to ride this thing out. Maybe it'll go away. Right. Maybe it'll go away. And you would say to me, Mike, that's insane. Why would you? No, no, no. You need to get help. No, 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 no. I, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do anything. I'm just gonna ride this thing out. And then you would protect me. And if I said to you, Hey, uh, don't tell anybody else about this. Don't tell anybody else because I don't want anybody to know. I'm, I'm kind of ashamed of the fact that I have I have cancer. And you would say to me, what? Right. What are you talking about? You have no control over that. But if right. you think about it with a chemical addiction, that is how we treat it. Right? right. We, we treat it. Right. Don't, don't don't tell anybody I'm ashamed of this and I'm right. not going to get the help that I need. And then you know, just like cancer, because the reason why you'd be upset with me is you know that the cancer is going to get worse and it's going to be fatal. Well, I got right. news for you. It is no different with addiction
1: none 100% 100% and, and 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 so you know it's almost a perfect storm right i mean we've got an agency that isn't doing uh, there are some out there i don't want to paint too broad of a brush but statistically agencies aren't your friend in this situation mm-hmm. that we've seen uh, more people lose their job right their livelihood um when it comes to navigating these waters, because our agencies they're they're not as educated as they need to be on this disease, right? They don't terminate. They don't they don't terminate you for having cancer, Okay? They don't they don't they don't. They do put a different standard
0: on it. Yeah, they do.
1: Yeah, no, they don't. They, 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 they I I got to tell you, the GoFundMe account gets 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 uh, pretty well funded right out of the gate. No shortage of people lining up wanting to contribute to you getting better. Not, not the same. I don't see many GoFundMe started because you're an alcoholic or an addict. I don't see that outpouring of caring. That's something. That's your problem. You've created that problem. That's that's what you get, Mike. And, you know, um, you're talking about something that somebody doesn't have any control over.
0: No, not if you have that. And that's where the disease model comes in. Right. And yeah. I would and, argue, and he, he uh, actually, if you're a police that. officer, I would argue also this idea that, that you created the problem. Now, I, let me back up for a minute and, and address that for a second. I've, I've had this conversation with people before, and if you're listening, I want you to understand this very, very quickly. Um, john when when you were 12 years old i don't i don't know uh, how old you were when you had your first drink i, I was pretty young I was,
1: I was i was actually 10 actually
0: 10 i probably around there for me um around there pretty young okay yep um pretty young and i don't remember and by the way my first drink was given to me by an adult and i don't remember um anybody saying to me hey mike uh, here's a beer, here's a Budweiser, and you go ahead and enjoy yourself there, son, um, but here's what you need to know before you take that drink, that if you have the genetic predisposition towards addiction, what this drink is going to do is ignite into you a progressive and deadly disease that will destroy everything and everyone and every hope that you have, and then the bonus is going to be you're going to die from it. Now, you go ahead and you drink that beer and enjoy yourself, Um But that's what's going to happen. I don't remember having that conversation with anyone. Now, we know, scientifically, the data is out there. It's undisputed. That is exactly what the case is going to be now? We do know that not only do you have the genetic predisposition, but you also have the the social um, factors um, and the stressors that are in your life. Now, um, if you've never been a, an officer out on the street in a big city street, Miami definitely being one of those. And I was a Washington D.C. police officer in this this profession. Um, there is not a more traumatic profession. Um, to be in there, there just isn't. In fact, in a lot of ways, I would say it's worse than the military because at least in the military, you're doing deployments and you come back. Um, there is no deployment cycle as a police officer. It, it's it's no. death and destruction all day, every day for twenty to thirty years, however long you do that. And right. so, th- my point behind all of this is that really, I was put into a profession that no one, um, even though the data is out there, no one once in any of the training I was ever in talked about how all of this would affect me or you and how it would affect this uh, propensity towards addiction that that existed. okay And you know that's why I think agencies have an obligation to go back and do what they can to help people that in many ways they help create. you know for example, if you um, if you're working um, homicides, or if you're working, um, you know, how about child pornography? What what if you're exposed to that for right. years? You're not supposed to be exposed to it. Human beings are not supposed to be <laughs> no. exposed to, no. you know, you go pick up dead But What job do you go to where you pick up dead baby babies or right. look at, um, uh, you know, children that have been molested by perpetrators? You know, like, that's not a normal job. Correct. And then we turn around and say, but you created this problem for your, what? Right. I didn't, nope. you know... <laughs> we have no sympathy for the people that we no. put into these positions it gets twisted real quick,
1: doesn't yeah. it it's um and it's fine just you know listen to you talk about some things so i so when you were talking about things I went back there in my mind yeah I started thinking about some things that you you had touched on and so you know when I, when i started this this thing of my this this career you know I was I was drinking heavily I was it, uh, my life modeled yours I went to a military college um, in in the 80s you know I graduated in 89 from college um, there are whole years I don't remember mm. um, and you know people will tell stories and they think I'm being funny or coy or like I don't want to admit that I was there I <sighs> I would love to, because it sounds like it was, a, it was a, really, a lot of fun at the time. I just, I wasn't there. I don't remember. Um, and I used alcohol um, extensively. I didn't need a reason. It just was. But it what it had ended up doing is, and, and, and I know this now because I've got experience, and I've been down in that hole, uh, several holes, that I, I was using that alcohol to, to, to numb myself, to self-medicate, so i could i could go to sleep um, because you know the the, the PTSD it, see PTSD affects everybody in law enforcement if you've been on a critical incident you have been exposed to post traumatic stress now depending on where you are in your life and, and and what you know about it you've been able to manage it deal with it address it and move forward but it's it, it's so much more than a flyer in roll call you know it's it, it you know when we talk about you know the outreach and you know once you're in it um i i didn't realize i didn't realize I, I was suffering from ptsd back in the day um i just thought i was having a hard time dealing with some stuff that i should have been a, probably a little stronger i'm not seasoned enough you know none of the veterans on the shift, to having a problem with this, um, I I I bet a cowboy up, I bet a man up, because I can't let this shit get to me, because it's like this every night. Um, once you realize that your reaction to this, to the horrific, is completely normal, um, you know, then you start developing, try to develop positive ways to deal with that and manage that. Um, but alcohol, you know, not knowing, being predisposed, having that, that gene, as my, my, my dad would like to say, um, that, that, that's just pouring gasoline on a fire. That accelerates the destruction. And, um, God, you know, and, and part of me doing what I'm doing now with my Sometimes Hero Need Help program is I figured some things out, Mike, Mm-hmm. Um, through a, through a lot of, not, I don't want to p- compare myself to you. Cause I think the things you, you, I would like to uh, aspire to do what you're doing. I mean, you're doing some really great things and I'm starting to, and I'm starting to reach people and people are starting to listen. And I, I truly believe that I'm starting to impact people in a positive way. And if this shit of a life was worth anything. It's, 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 it's now the ability to pay it forward to help Mm. those that are still in the middle of it, man, that are looking around going, oh man, who do I turn to? How can I get help? Um, I'm, I'm down in this hole, you know, who's, who, who, who can help me out of it? Um, and, and so that's the role I, I, I feel drawn to playing right now, uh, using those experiences with alcoholism and addiction and, infidelity and those, all those self-destructive behaviors and, and turning it around and trying to make it a positive of this life that, um, you know, if not me, then who? You know, if not you, then who?
0: Yeah. And you know what? So if you can, for, for the listeners – I mean, you're very passionate about this, and you have a powerful message. I mean, obviously, it had a, a, an impact on Renee Peterson when she. I mean, <laughs> she saw you, and that night she said, "Hey, you got to talk to this guy." Right, You're very passionate about it. So we're at a place now. So if you can, kind of walk the the listeners back. What led you to being here? Why? Why do you do this? What happened? If you don't mind me asking.
1: Oh my God! So there's gotta be some sense of the pain. Yeah. There's gotta, there's gotta, they can't be for nothing. Um, I, the pain I caused in my family, the pain, it's gotta be for something, right? There's gotta be some good that comes from all the pain. And, and this is it. This is me making, this is me making good, not only on, on a promise, like to my family, but to myself, like I will never be that person again. Um, you know, I had a problem with drinking. I, an Irish kid from Boston, go figure. Um, who would ever thought? And yeah, predisposed. And I, I, you, you, know, the drinking, and that that wasn't the thing that almost destroyed my life. Um, comparatively, believe it or not, it was an, an addiction to steroids that actually did that. And um, so, I'm an alcoholic. I'm, I'm getting help. I'm doing what I need to do to be a better husband, better father, a better human being. And I'm sober for 10 years. And I let my guard down. I'm like, I forgot, Mike, that it's not about the alcohol. It's about the addiction. And so I'm not drinking. But lo and behold, I'm surrounding myself with people who are normalizing unacceptable behavior. Right? Does this sound familiar? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And so so now it's not I'm not drinking anymore, but now um I'm taking quantity I'm taking steroids to to the extent that I am I'm, I'm dying a slow death inside. And and steroids have a very crazy effect on your your hormones, your personality, your the things that you vow to care and care about and love forever you discard um and it it got to the point Mike where I was being investigated for the second time for um my use of steroids at work and um my life was just spiraling out of control um I I had an affair that it, it just it was the start of me destroying everything I loved um I thought I would have learned my lesson 10 years ago when I walked away from the bottle. Um, but it, it just – it never I, – I, and I look back, and over those years, I was addicted to things still. I still had that personality. I just—it just It just wasn't as destructive as alcohol or steroids, right? Um, and so I'm in this place, man, and um, my wife is – god someday you'll meet her mike she's she's an amazing woman man she is really she loved me at times uh when i i, I gave her absolutely no reason to do so when i absolutely i would not have blamed her if she walked mm-hmm. um and she didn't she saw she saw something in me that at the time i couldn't see in myself very i think very similar to a situation that you had yeah. Um, with your spouse, we, we have the have
0: ability that. to pick yeah. very, very cool. good people despite cool. ourselves. Yeah. Right. A lot of people don't have
1: that. And, and for that, my heart aches, because, um, if I don't have her in my life, I'm not alive, brother. Uh, it's just, it's that's yeah. that simple. I'm not alive if I don't have my Nicole. So I'm, I'm, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I am all, all messed up on steroids. um, You would think that that, how how could that mess you up? Oh my God. I don't want you to try it and I don't want you to figure it out because, but just take my word for it. It will. Um, And I, I don't see a way out of this. I've I've destroyed my marriage. Um, I'm under my second suspension. Uh, They're, they're they're conducting investigations. They want to send me to prison at work. For, for purchasing a controlled substance. Um, and everything that I care about is just gone, going. It's going away. And uh, I got to the point where I was just like, well, maybe, maybe if I hurt myself, maybe if I hurt myself, she'll love me again. Maybe my daughter will look at me the way she did before I hurt her mother. Um, and you go to yourself, but wait a minute, if you if you hurt yourself, you won't be around. It's like it's the most ridiculous thought process. It makes no sense. But in that moment, when you're not thinking clearly, when you're in extreme emotional pain, you think that hurting yourself is actually gonna make the situation better. And then, you know, I had a I went to my primary care doctor, a guy I had been avoiding for years because of my of my abuse. I knew he would never condone it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I got into his, his uh, exam room and he looked at me and he just started fucking crying. He was like, oh, my God, he couldn't – and, and we hugged. And it was just like, I need help, man. I, I, I need help. And this man, his name was Carlos Levy, amazing human being. I mean, extreme athlete, loving husband, father. I mean, a guy who gives of himself to exhaustion. He was just amazing, and, and and I credit him with getting me out of that that death spiral. Um, and so you know, a lot of talking and a lot of you know, get stop pumping that poison in my system and getting me on track with proper diet, and nutrition, and and talking with with him and people that knew what it was like. Um, you know, you can't, <laughs> at the end of the day, there's no world that exists that's better off without you in it. Right. You can't be a better father. You can't be a better husband. You can't be a better partner. You can't be a better friend. If you take your own life, mm-hmm. you just fucking can't. This—it's just it, it, the absurdity of that situation in that statement isn't lost on me. But in that moment, that seems like a that seems like an answer. That seems like it makes sense in the moment. And you know, and, and it comes back to our inabilities to deal with the horrors, our inabilities to make ourselves a priority, our inabilities to take care of us, right? You can't be there for them if you're not there for you. And we 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 by design, man, we, we're consumed with taking care of everybody else. We're excellent at that. We do a horrible job of taking care of ourselves to the extent that we're, we're finally, once we get to a point, we're on the edge. We're almost at the point of no return. And so part of this program is the focus on making you a priority in your personal, professional, financial, your, with your physical and mental health and well-being that at the end of the day, You can't be there for them if you're not there for you. And that starts, you know, it starts with our relationships. It starts with the way we, you know, we interact with each other at work. It starts with, you know, being mindful of our finances and and, and our financial health and our physical and emotional health and and doing everything that we do for everybody else, but doing it for ourselves, making ourselves a priority. And uh, I don't know if I came full circle on this on you or not, Mike, but I, I just, that, you know, that I, was the journey, man. You know
0: what? And you, you raise a good point, And it reminds me of a conversation I had with someone I was working with last week. I was listening to an individual talk and I decided for some reason to say to this person and <clears throat> this, this individual it, they're what they're struggling with is alcohol. And they were saying some things that made no sense uh, from a recovery standpoint. And I used the, the, the tactic, uh, put it to them this way. I said, imagine if you will, that you are a sponsor, an AA sponsor, and you are sitting right over there in that chair. And you're you're talking to you about what you just told me. Tell me what you would tell yourself if you were your sponsor. And it's amazing. And they went through the the list of things that well I would tell, you know, I would tell so and so this, that, and the other thing. And it's amazing how accurate they were. Absolutely how accurate they were. And, you know, from a clinical standpoint, they were spot on. It was it was fantastic advice. And I said, now but the funny thing is, that's what you would tell someone else. But you won't take that advice coming from someone else. And when you just you just talked about this, that in our profession, in the law enforcement profession, we will go to the ends of the earth. I don't know of many cops or paramedics, firefighters, agents, you, you name it. We all will work all night. We will work around the clock to help someone else. But isn't it amazing right. how little effort we put into taking care of ourselves? When we in won't. reality, we really should be the first people that are taken care of. Because after all... If you don't take care of yourself, you can't help anyone else. That's why on an airliner, they tell you when that oxygen mask falls, you put it on yourself first, right. because if you pass out, you're of no use to anybody.
1: Right. It right? makes perfect sense. Right. Makes perfect sense. But we we do that. It's it's a. Um, I I've got a theory on that. You know. Um, I think. You know, before before we get down that rabbit hole, mm-hmm. um, I think. On the surface, obviously, we like we like solving problems, right? we, we we're, I, the, I was never happier when I was getting out of the car in chaos, right? And you're like, okay, yeah, there's going to be a good one, and then you figure it out, right? And you you start creating a sense of calm and clarity, and, and and you're solving other people's problems. I think we do a great job at that, Mike. So we never have to solve our own. I think as long as we have something else to, as long as we have another call. That's a very
0: good point. That's a very, that's an excellent point. A lot of good insight right there on that one.
1: Right. As long as we have another call to go to, as long as we have another mission. See, this is what happens, brother. We always have another mission. I was, I was blessed at the end, at the end of my career, I was running uh, presidential motorcades all through South Florida. Um, I was that guy. I had a 50-man motor unit. I had some great partners, and whenever when any dignitaries came to South Florida, the Broward Sheriff's Office, along with the Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office, along with the Metro Date, and all of our municipal partners, we would run POTUS v. POTUS around wherever he needed to go, um, and that was awesome, man, because the the the, the magnitude of that. Um, I just thought it was the best, man. I got got to take a little peek behind the curtain, see how some things operated. Part of motorcades and protecting the most powerful people in the world, right? Like, that's it, man. Like, for, that was like a highlight for me. Um, but what happens when the when when you don't have another mission, man? When the missions are all gone. You're left. You're, you're left to. You know. Now you're almost forced. You're forced to take a look in the mirror. You're forced to address you. And you know, you, for thirty years, you're given this. You're, you're you're given everybody else's problems to solve, at the expense of you ever taking a hard look at yourself. And uh, I I gotta tell you, those moments where you take a hard look at yourself, the the, the brutal honesty that. Mm-hmm comes with that you may not be happy with the person looking back at you in the mirror and if you're not then that demands action on your part and now it just got real mm-hmm. and uh it was uh, it was something man. It, 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 it that was a part of this whole journey and um like i said i would i would want guys to i don't see you're, you the, the holes the different holes you fall into along the path man I'd like to make them just bumps, right? You can, we can deal with a little bump. You know, when you fall in the hole, man, that's, that takes some, that takes some doing, that takes some doing to get out of it, right? So if we can kind of get ahead of it and address problems when they're small, when they first arrive before they have become consuming, you know, I think that's where our efforts need to be. I think that's where our agencies, our agencies right now, like. Less than 5% of the agencies in this country have a proactive mental health program for their people. Less than 5%. So we're just, we're just hoping. See, but we know. We know statistically that the vast majority, I think the numbers, um, conservative numbers say 15%, but, and, and it's a hard number to track PTSD because you really only know about the people that are seeking help right? Uh, everybody in the room's walking around with some sort of mental baggage that they're dealing with, uh, some better than others. But let's just say, let's say 25%. One out of four guys in the room is having an issue with PTSD because we know it's cumulative in nature, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't go away. It just, it keeps building. And unless we find healthy ways to deal with it, it's gonna, it's gonna manifest itself at some point in a very ugly way. Um, And so, you know, we know this. This is not John Kelly's philosophy. This is, this is, there are people that have done research and studies, scientists, um, that these are proven facts. And we're, we're we're just waiting. Well, you know, it's almost like, you know, when you go to war, you know, any battle that gets planned out, any initiative, um, there's a, there's, there's a, there's a, acceptable loss right you know if we if we assault if we assault this this ridge you know we're going to lose you know 20% of our guys they don't not assault the ridge that's in in the military that's that's you know well we don't want to see anybody die but it's the cost of doing business it turns out to be an acceptable loss and and i'm i'm afraid mike that if we don't get a better handle on this as a profession um Those that that succumb to PTSD and suicide and alcoholism and addiction, that's going to be looked at as an acceptable loss. Well, there are 700,000 members in this organization, and it's really less than 1%, and and that's my fear, man, is that we're going to lose the value that each life brings to the table.
0: Yeah, and particularly in the last couple of years, where let's face it, law enforcement in particular, first first responders in general, but definitely uh, police officers have really been under attack, you know, by the public, uh, justified, unjustifiably so. Um, I I would argue that the you know, the vast majority of police officers uh, absolutely are not deserving of the treatment that they're getting right now, but yet it has an effect on everyone, and of course I. Uh, let me just to follow up on something that you just said here. That only about five percent of the agencies have really a viable mental health program going on. I believe that, um, and I'll I'll throw another little wrench into that. Um, what what you mentioned, and that is that I know the one thing that I noticed when I went through what I went through, and that really drove what I'm doing now. And I think probably drives what, why you're doing the work that you're doing. Is that even those that have a mental health or addiction program um, really don't have people in uh, running those programs that really understand the first responder? I know my agency, uh, the people that I worked with, uh, licensed mental health professionals, absolutely. But right. they came into that field. That's that's what they did. Uh, well-meaning people, right. very educated people. I, I'm, I'm not being disparaging towards them at all. No, but uh,
1: no, I understand completely.
0: But they weren't agents, and they were not right. people. And I'm sure that's the same with with you. What I what I would like to push is more people like you and I getting into this field, and that way, because I know that when I went through what I went, it would have been so comforting, comforting for me to speak to someone like me that right. did this job. Uh, that's just my opinion. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. No,
1: and, and certainly right. Um,
0: there's, there's
1: something to be said for experience. You know, I don't have any fancy letters after my name. Um, my MBA is from Phoenix university. All right. You know, <laughs> all right. Rock on. Um, I am. Um, but, you know, I, I had said, and I kind of give this little disclaimer at the beginning of my talk, I said, this is John Kelly speaking. I don't speak for, nor will I ever speak for the Broward Sheriff's office, or, or I, I'm gonna tell you a little bit about my life and some of the things that I did uh, that got me where I'm at, and I'm gonna I'm gonna try to share some things with you. Um, but by, by by no stretch of the imagination, have I have it, do I have it all figured out? I'm just going to relay some experiences, some things that I did. I'm not um, professionally trained in dealing with post-traumatic stress. I I can tell you I've had it. I can tell you what I did to get through it. I can tell you about the nights that I sat and stared at the ceiling fan and cried. I can tell you about all the the things that gave me problems and the things that helped me get through it, but they're not a clinical response to it. And, um, And then, you know, when I see people leaning in their chairs during my presentation, almost to the point of falling out of them, I realize that in that moment that they don't want the guy with the MD and all the, uh, letters after his name, not unless he's lived it. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's something to be said for living it. Mm -hmm. And in, in, in a, in a profession, in a law enforcement profession that distrusts most people from the outside. Um, I think being in it and not taking advantage of that opportunity to maybe be in a room where people will lower their guard a little bit because it's you, um, I think it's incumbent upon us to be that messenger.
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And th- that's why we need more of that. We, we need more of it. And I'm glad to see that there's so many uh, more opportunities to have seminars like what you're doing, You know what I'm doing. And right. uh, you know, so it all of this experience drove you to do what you're doing now, and and so you've started a company. This is a company, correct?
1: That correct. You have? So, um the the company's Law Enforcement Life Coach, um, the website lawenforcementlifecoach dot and so I do one on one mentoring, but but I got to tell you, the real satisfaction that I get is speaking to groups, um. And so I've been putting this program on for about a year now. And typically agencies will have me come in. Um, I'll speak with their entire command staff or they'll roll the program out as part of their in-service. So I get to all their deputies. Um, ultimately, it's about starting and having a conversation that is a little a little difficult to have, a little intimidating to have. And by my using my own life experiences... Um, I kind of fillet myself open to, to the good and the bad, just to normalize it, to let them know that they're not alone, that somebody can go through the things that I went through and still come out living a fulfilled, beautiful, blessed life. Um, and it just, it does it didn't happen by chance, right? It, it took intervention. It took action. It took the caring of others. It took me finally caring about myself, uh, all these things. And that, you know, there's a better way. You know, there is there's, there, there's a life that exists where you can be excited about waking up tomorrow.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you can be excited about going home to see your partner. Um, there were times, Mike, when I stayed at work because I didn't want to go home. You know, and and it's just there's so there's so much more out there. There's the, and and to be able to share that, that you don't need to be living the life that you're living right now if you don't want if you don't like it. If you if there's something that's you're going through right now, you think you're the only one. I can guarantee you that you're not, um, and that there's people available to talk, to to mentor, to guide, to support, and. You know that that whole concept about you know people say oh you're not alone well you know that's great but truly you're not alone you know know that you're not alone because there are people that 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 love you that care about you that are that, that are willing to go to great lengths to get you the help that you need.
0: And you you raise a very good point. And if you are somebody that's listening to this podcast right now and you're just dreading. The evening time, because you know you got to go to work tomorrow morning. And you've gotten to that point to where it's just painful, particularly if you're in a job like the jobs that we were in. Uh, you know, I know I went into law enforcement, you went into law enforcement because you're like, that's the dream job. That's what I want right. to do. And for most of us in the very beginning, it was exciting and you couldn't wait to get to work. And it, cause it was exciting. You know, if you're not excited by police work, I don't know what's right. wrong. But there becomes a time when, that goes away, and, and now you start to dread it, and you start to dread the people. And and if you're at that point, then there's something. Something is off. Something is out of balance. Right. And in nature, we want balance. And if that's you, if that's you and you're listening to this, then I'd recommend that you, you reach out to somebody. You can reach out to John. You can reach out to me. Um, and if it's not us, reach out to somebody and, right. and find out, what it is that we're talking about how you can have a better life because you can you know i know in recovery recovery for me and recovery for you uh, doesn't mean that like the problems go away trust me no. people haven't changed i still i deal with no. as many jerks today as i ever did in my career right what changed was me how i react right. to other people right that's what's changed they haven't changed but i have right. changed
1: and there's a there's a a prayer I, I, I speak of during my seminar, it's the serenity prayer, yeah. right? God, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the, the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I I cite that to the group, and I'm looking around, and I'm like, yeah, right? Hear, hear my words. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. The courage to change the things that I can. Me. I've got control over me. And the wisdom to know the difference. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's one of those things that I like to leave people with is that, listen, as crazy and as out of control as life gets, you still have control over your reactions to things and how you deal with them. Mm-hmm. And um, at the end of the day, you know, we owe that to ourselves to be to be true to that. Um, it's funny. I... I, I wrote a book. I, I, I'm half a moron, but I I, I decided to kind of complement my program with a book, and uh, it's in cover design right now. It'll be coming out hopefully within the next month. It's called – and it's funny. So my wife my wife has been by my side through all of this, and, and fortunately, unfortunately, in the writing of this book, I kind of outed her as well, right? I mean, <laughs> she's like, oh, great. Now, everybody knows. I go – uh, I know, I know, but guess what? There's a, there's a there's somebody's wife out there is going through what I put you through, right? And wouldn't you want them to know what you did and how? I mean, you know, what I mean, it's like she's cool with it, right? But you know, she's a very private woman. Um, but I told her, I said, you know, she goes, well, what are your name? Well, you know, what are you gonna call this thing that you've been writing for the last year? And I said, uh, it, the name of the book is called Redemption. And <clears throat> The the subtitle is Surviving Self-Inflicted Wounds, A Deputy's Life. I love that. Right? And it's kind of thought-provoking because when I look back, Mike, um, much, if not all, was of my making. And if it's all of my making, I can undo it all.
0: That's a great point. Um, That's a great point.
1: it's, It's owning it. It's taking responsibility. And then it's figuring it out. It's doing the work. And uh, and that's where we're at with it, man. And that's where we're we're at with it,
0: man. That the, the, no truer words than that. You know, we we've kind of dug our own hole, but you can get out of it, right? You can, right? Now, I will tell you that um, working in the the treatment world that I'm working in right now, if I if you were to ask me, hey, what's the common theme with the patients that don't don't get well. And that is that they hear the message. I know where I'm working right now. Every single patient that comes through hears the message. They are given the tools, absolutely given the tools to get well. And if they follow the suggestions, and that's all they are, suggestions. we can't make anybody do anything, but we can right. suggest, suggest to you to, a path to take. And most of us that are working there have been on that path, that your life will get better. It can't not get better. But what happens is they will look at us in the eye and they will say, I hear you, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do this over here. Or I think that, you know, and they just don't take the suggestions. And, you know, there is a way out of whatever hole, whatever pit you're in right now, but hook up with somebody that's been where you are and please, please, please take the suggestions. Because what happens is when you go talk to all these people, and this is what I tell the patients, is look at all the people around here that are in long-term recovery. And if you listen to them, they all do the same things. They all got to that place of long-term recovery by doing basically the same things. Ironically, the people that don't get well also do the same things.
1: (laughs) They're consistent.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, there's a pattern. And the fact is, is that you know what? It really it came down to, and you mentioned a decision, and that is, you have to make a decision: Do I want to get well or not? Right. And if the answer is yes, then follow the suggestions. And if you're not going right. to follow the suggestions, you're just not ready yet. But get ready. Right. You know, you you don't have to live in a hell. You don't.
1: There is a better way.
0: There is. So with that, John, um, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, let the listeners know one more time how they can get hold of you. Um, sure. Remind um, them again about the book, and I'm really looking forward to that. But uh, if anybody wants to reach out to you, how can they do that?
1: So um, my website, lawenforcementlifecoach.com, and um, that has a whole resource section with helplines and websites for different types of assistance, marriage assistance, abuse assistance, the whole gamut. Um, the name of the book that should be coming out within the next month or so is called Redemption, Surviving Self-Inflicted Wounds, A Deputy's Life. And um, it's, it's a compliment to the program that I put on for agencies around the country, which is called Sometimes Heroes Need Help. And um, you can reach out to me and contact me through the website.
0: Wow, that, that's fantastic. And I uh, really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to this book coming out. That's gonna I, I'm really excited about that. And, uh, you you know, folks, please, please check that out. John Kelly, uh, a great speaker. Like I say, as soon as he gave a speech, I got a phone call that night. (laughs) And we (laughs) we were talking about you. Yeah,
1: no, you know what? It's great to be a part of people's solutions, you know?
0: Yeah, there is a solution, guys. And, and, you know, please take advantage of that. And uh, thanks again, John, for coming on the program. Really appreciate it. Mike,
1: it was my pleasure. Thanks for having me, brother. Oh, yeah.
0: Well, once again, this episode has been sponsored by FHE Health. And according to SAMHSA, first responders are 30% more likely to develop behavioral health conditions like PTSD. And we've talked quite a bit about that on the show today, 30% more likely. And so uh, FHE Health specializes in getting first responders better and clear for duty. So find out more at fhehealth And so, as always, I'd like to say I don't represent any group. You know, we talk about groups on here, but you know, and John mentioned that too early on. We don't represent anybody. We're just telling our stories. So um, my only purpose, and John's only purpose, is giving the is to give this information to share with you. Uh, what we've we've done because it's helped us. And I'm sure it's going to help you as well if you just take those suggestions. So if I've said something that doesn't apply or you don't agree with, then just discard it. But try to take any information that you can use for yourself and help others as well because that's what we do in recovery. We help ourselves along the way and we help impart that knowledge uh, to others as we go along this path. So with that, please visit our Facebook page, which is Recovery is Possible, and our website, vanmeterwellnesssolutions.com. Let me know how I'm doing and certainly let me know if there's a topic that you're interested in hearing about because I'd love to hear from you. And guys, you know, take care and we will see you next time. John, thank you and we'll be talking with you soon as well.
1: Thank you. My pleasure.